Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. Today I have a conversation for you with Shade Weitzel. Shade is a professional dog trainer. She serves students both online at FDSA and also in in-person workshops across the country. She trains her German Shepherds for IGP, French Ring, and AKC Obedience. And she's just one of the smartest dog trainers I know. We sat down to talk about the topic of balancing activities for our young dogs. How much adrenalizing activity should they have versus how much relaxation and how do we know that our balance is correct? I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right. Thanks so much for joining me, Shade. I wanted to chat with you about something that I know has been on my mind, which is balance between higher octane activities and maybe self-regulated or relaxed activities, especially for our young dogs and puppies. There seems to be, there seems not to be a consensus on this, I think, in in dog training. I find that people are kind of either one way or the other on the spectrum of kind of what they're doing. But I thought a good way for us to begin would be for you to just talk about your brand new little puppy and maybe how you're found finding the balance with him or if you are or what what that looks like because I know it's a moving goalpost when they're growing yeah first of all thanks for having me um it's awesome as usual and yes it is a finding balance or balance with your puppy uh or your growing dog or any dog you get it is such a moving goalpost because I literally like changes day to day on what side of whatever line of the balance you are thinking of as they developmentally, you know, become more independent or less independent or whatever. So yeah, I'm totally going through that with my young puppy Ion, who's um, 12 weeks old right now. And he is amazing as all lovely puppies are. I just absolutely love him, but he is teaching me a lot as usual. So, (laughs) (laughs) and that moving goalpost thing, especially with puppies and really with adolescents, like that's why there isn't a recipe for us to give you all. I'm sorry to disappoint everyone um, that there isn't a recipe, but because it is different day to day, you literally have to look at what's happening today and what happened yesterday and then make a prediction on what's probably going to happen tomorrow and then make your plan. Right. Make your plan of what you're going to work on. And then because you worked on it, then your still behaviors are are too still or or whatever. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, the pendulum just swings. Like if you put your reinforcement in stillness behaviors. Right. That's what you will have. And <laughs> you don't really want stillness behaviors. So currently Ion, I open the door. Normally you have to, you know, normally you got to work on like polite manners at the door. Right. And normally my puppies are like so excited to go outside because it means they're going to train. And he's like, got so much value for stillness that I open the door and he's like sitting there looking at me, like sitting and staring at you gets results. Therefore I'm not going outside. And yeah, good boy. But I'm like, dude. But you also want him to blast outside. I know. And that's, you know, 
don't you find this sometimes the students like you'll do you'll do any amount of stillness or self-control and then suddenly they're like oh the puppy's not chasing the food across the floor that I tossed for the puppy right right what do I do now oh no I broke it right and it it is just recognizing that this is a pendulum and that now you swing back to working on chasing food across the floor or something exactly. like that and and that's that's so true because you do you put reinforcement into one behavior uh, one set of behaviors, and then the next day you got to work on the action part of it, uh, and that that's so true. It's just like you you plan, and then in your planning you go, oh, okay, whoops, you have too much, not too much of it, but oh, I have to put more reinforcement into the other side of it. So, and I think specifically we're both talking about. For me, what I'm specifically talking about is the difference between like calm, still behaviors and action, uh, high arousal stuff. Uh, yeah. you know, we're kind of talking about uh, building balance with both of those uh, and having both of those with our puppies and dogs. Yeah, and I think that um, I know for me in my sport of agility, and you'll have to tell me if this is true for bite sports, we really often err too much on the side of lots of high arousal games because everybody's biggest fear in agility is a slow dog and so from day one <laughs> everyone is so scared of that and I mean I have conversations weekly with people about yeah. their they're scared that my advice will make the dog slow yeah um, and so it's that so I find that I'm encouraged I'm lots of times encouraging a balance towards more self-regulatory stillness thoughtful types of behaviors do you feel like in bite sports that's the same Yes. Oh, totally. Um, we're all afraid of a slow dog or afraid of a non-pushy dog, afraid of a dog that defaults to eye contact, which I love. Uh, in right. sports, you want them to default to pushy behavior. Uh, so like barking or moving forward. Uh, so I consistently get uh, from my students that I'm creating slow, thoughtful dogs, which is actually what I want, uh, and that they're not drivey enough. And uh, so we might have to define drive. <laughs> we're gonna have to do a lot of definitions. All kinds of all kinds of words that we're throwing around here that we should probably say what, what they mean. Right, but um, I want focus, and I want thought, and I don't yeah I, I want all the things uh and I don't have slow dogs uh and I don't end up with slow dogs but I might have slower more thoughtful puppy than yeah same so, so like in agility I like to see a young dog being entered in their first competitions not using all the speed that they have like I want to see them not using all that speed right away. I want them like they don't even know anything yet. What they're right. gonna run 100 miles an hour right out the gate. I want to see them a little bit. Like Iggy is 14, almost 14, and she had a really great career. She was nobody would say she was a slow dog. I look at her novice videos, and it's like cute. It's like <laughs> she's like hopping. <laughs> right. She's like what are you doing, and she's like kind of trotting and hopping. Like, and it's right. funny. And I think it would freak people out, but yes. I want to see, I want to see them being like, is this right? I want to get this right. I yes. don't necessarily want to see them just like blasting through anything. Totally. 
And my experience with Talek, who is four and a half now, is that he flings himself everywhere. He is very fast. He's just very fast anyway. And I'm looking at this puppy I have now, and he would fling himself everywhere because he's motivated and he's very athletic and kind of not small boned, but very well put together and he wants to fling. And I'm working on trotting. I'm working on walking. I'm not working right. on plugging. I'm not working on right. speed because I want balance. <laughs> and I, right. I want you to be able to walk down the stairs or trot down the stairs, not launch yourself from, you know, stair four to the whatever. And I just think of how with each dog, I go more and more towards, I want uh, more still behaviors. I want more calm behaviors. Probably have to define calm, uh, but I, I definitely, and I want both, you know. Uh, mm. But I also like, I love the jumping. I want the high arousal, but I also want the dog to be able to move balanced and trod and all that kind of stuff uh, for all the stuff that I want to teach the dog in its career. Yeah. And I think that we are both people who would select dogs and buy dogs for our sport who we know probably have some traits that we some of these calmer behaviors aren't going to be as natural or easy for them and so we kind of know from the beginning right to work on those things like for me I feel like I can trust that when I buy a border collie it's going to be fast and agility right feel like I can trust that. And I don't need to stress about that. Here's what I can't trust that my border collie is going to be able to chill ringside, right. that, they're, that they're going to be able to chill in my house, that they're going to be able to walk on a loose leash. None of those things I can trust are in there. Right. So I need to work really hard on those things from the right. beginning. <laughs> and I, I think that's what made us um, think about uh, talking about this in the first place is that uh, we have dogs that come pre, you know, a lot of the sporty dogs, whether you're going for, you know, agility or bite sports, um, which are two different sports and two different selections, but we're, we're selecting for dogs that are fast and like to, and motivated, like to do things and have reinforcement. They like to, to do stuff. They like stuff. They like food, you know, hope oh, you have border collars. Everything so important to them. Yeah. Like everything <laughs> matters to them. They exactly. don't, they don't have like small feelings about right. stuff, They've got right. big feelings about all the things. Right. So I then have to work with my German shepherds on one. Uh, I just thought about dog stuff. Okay. But that's outside the scope, but just, um, you know, can you settle in the house? Uh, can you downstay? Can you calm yourself down? All those things that, are don't necessarily come for free when I'm looking for a, a sporty German Shepherd. Um, ironically, this puppy of mine is very, very foodie. He loves food. And while Talek loved food as well, Talek also loved toys. And I remember thinking that at 12 weeks old, I basically had all of Talek's toy skills on board. Like he would come back mm -hmm. to me for tugging. He would come back to me for uh, he'd chase a ball and bring it back. You know, he had the basics basically. And I'm going to tell you, this puppy of mine does not have the basic toy skills. And I find it really kind of ironic and funny that I'm going to myself, I kind of need to work on toy skills. Like this puppy. Is funny. Has, <laughs> it is funny. This puppy has an association of working with me with food. And he is so fun to work with, with food. 
that I am working with him with food because it's reinforcing for both of us. And yeah. then I bring out the toy and he's meh, eh, whatever. Uh, and I'm like, wow, I actually have to work on this. Like I have to consciously, because it's not so fun when you throw the toy and the dog just sort of goes after it, picks it up and then leaves. <laughs> it's not no, fun. It's not fun. It's not fun. And it's, again, it's that pendulum. It's the balance. It's saying, okay, I've got food skills in spades. Right. And the toy skills are important to me too. So I need to, even though it's more fun for me right now to train with food because my puppy is really into it, I need to work on these toy things. And it goes the other way around. I get a lot of people whose puppy's not into food, but they are super into toys. Right. And we need food as well. You need both. And so I remember when I got Ion, um, I actually brought out the toy and he was unable to, he switched to the toy. So this is what, he's eight weeks old. It's like the first day I have him. He went instantly for the toy, tug, 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 and then couldn't switch back to food. And and so I worked on that. I was like, okay, well, this is a thing, you know, I want you to be able to switch. And now I've gotten too far where I took the toy for granted because I've selected a working drive dog and it, it, he has it. I just haven't worked on it. And also it's all always dog dependent in what parts of the toy stuff they'll bring for you. You know, like he's got a lot of prey instinct. He doesn't have a lot of bring the toy back instinct. If we want to call it instinct, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll chase it, but I don't really see the need to bring it back to you. He's like, chase is fine, but other than that, he's like, you don't, you don't need to have it. Right. It's the same with, you know, we talk, we're talking about sport puppies, but something that I think pet dog trainers can really take from this conversation is that this is true for your pet puppy clients as well. Yes. And that we emphasize, I think we overemphasize in pet training calmness and doing nothingness yes I would agree and you get in trouble if you get a puppy that's not dead inside like if, if your right. puppy is not right. dead inside which I you know I'm joking I think it's maybe <laughs> maybe not everybody thinks it's funny but that like really great pet dogs are just kind of dead inside like they just kind of, well, just kind of sit there for five days out of the week, they go for your hunt. Yeah, they're fine. Saturday. The fact that you you go to work and that they're right. a couch tournament, and then they can go to the soccer game with your that your kid is playing in on Saturday. With and all those balls bouncing around. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, that's not your German Shepherds or my Border Collies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! If I only had a dog that would like go hang out near like a soccer game, I don't even know what that's like. <laughs> If it's something that was important to you, I'm sure that you would train it. And it seems like it's not something that's important to you. I'm not going to soccer games, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, let's say somebody adopts a little mixed breed puppy from the shelter and they're not sure what's in there. And it turns out that what's in there is kind of a lot. Yes. And I believe very strongly uh, that you can't ignore it. And if a puppy has like that prey instinct, you need to work to put that towards toys because if don't put that towards toys. The dog is going to learn to express its prey instinct on other animals or cars or something like that. So it's really important that you not ignore that as well and that you not ignore arousal. I think there is definitely a tendency right now for um, pet trainers to, or just pet people definitely to want the dog to not do as much, 
uh, and to ignore arousal and arousal is a bad thing. And I, I want both. So if we're going to talk about balance, I, yes, I want those calm behaviors. I don't want the dog like chasing the flirt pole five times a day, but I also think that the dog does need to chase the flirt pole and learn how to bring the toy back and learn how to do behaviors around the toy so that you can take that adrenaline junkie dog that you have and put it to good use and satisfy those, those uh, motivations for your dog. Uh, because if you ignore it, it's going to come out and you haven't trained that then the dog doesn't know how to control itself. So hopefully I'm making sense. You are making sense. And I think we're running into, I, I'm just hearing the voices that are, that are going to come through and mm -hmm. say, but Sarah, mm -hmm. you say not to, you know, play a bunch of like adrenalizing games, like taking right. the chuck it to the park. Right. And what I want to point out that's really important about what you just said is you said, yes, that puppy should be playing with the flirt pole or fill in the blank toy game. Right. And also learning how to respond to cues and be responsive during those types of games. Like it's yeah. not about don't do this and only do this. It's about, cause I, I definitely see a lot of that. I see a lot of don't play tug, don't throw the chuck at ball, don't whatever. Right. Chase only that. do food-based enrichment and things like that. Yeah. When really for all dogs involved, not just sport dogs, learning how to respond to cues when they're in a highly aroused state is an invaluable skill. Yes. And if, and so I'm not a big fan of playing chuck it like 20, 50 throws with the chuck it, but I am a big fan of doing 20 throws with some obedience cues in there or trick cues or whatever, just behavior skills so that the dog is bringing itself down, controlling itself, listening to you, and then getting reinforced with the high adrenaline motivation that it loves. Uh, and that way, one, you're, you don't have to do 50 because 15 chases tires the dog out uh, right. and better on their bodies, of course. And then mm -hmm. also they're learning to respond in that high arousal that it's gonna, if you ignore it, is gonna come up at some part in the dog's life. Uh, so yeah, it's, and it's it might come out, it might come out with the family cat. Yep. It might come out when your kids have friends over and they're all running around. It might come out when they're walking down the street and the dog sees another dog and they want to play. And they think that their only option is to bark at lunch to try yeah. to, you know, access that dog. So it's, it's basically saying, let's bring some of these skills into pet homes that sometimes I think as dog trainers, we think of as only like sport, sport people skills. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I started in pet dogs before I, I mean, I had sport dogs of my own and I made sure I got titles before I started training pet uh, people, but I did the exact same stuff and crucial concepts actually is a direct reflection of this. I do the exact same stuff with my pet clients that I did with my sport clients. And again, dog dependent. If the dog doesn't like to chase the ball, we're not going to worry about it. But right. if they had that instinct, I I just, I didn't separate it. And I, is it being separate, more separate like sport and pet now uh, than it was 20 years ago? I, I don't know. I would say it's more separate now. Yeah. But the and reason I feel that way is because back, like when I started training dogs like 20 something years ago, the people teaching the classes were people were dog sport people. 
They were doing right. they were obedience people. They competed right. in obedience and they were teaching classes and the classes had a lot of elements of AKC competitive obedience in yeah. them. Like our dogs learned to stand for exam. Our dogs right. learned healing <laughs> in in a basic pet dog training class. Like yeah. we did that stuff. And it doesn't look like that anymore. Right. I mean, certainly, of course, those classes still exist, but like by and large, it's not what you're going to get when you walk into an average, especially our plus focused pet dog training class. It's not going to be stand for exam and healing. Right. And formal recalls with a front. I mean, and do I think I think a lot of that's really silly and doesn't (laughs) belong in a pet dog training class. But the other parts that then weren't there were reinforcer skills yeah using the toy to reinforce using clear communication around your reinforcers things like that so I think that I don't know I I do think it's different than it was but I think there's I do think there's a big divide yeah no I I would agree um and I maybe there should be less of a divide maybe is kind of want to say yeah like maybe we don't need to do stand for exam but maybe right. we should be doing marker cues and toy skills <laughs> right right and heels not a bad thing either well, <laughs> you know healing past another it's true because past. the healing that we left with wasn't really competition ready healing of course right. it wasn't a dog that could walk on a leash right and so but I do think coming back to that like balance between arousal and calmness if we want to state it really plainly right I think that the dog that you have is going to be your best informant as far as where are we on this but there's this so like let's say somebody's listening they've got like a young um husky mix that they got from a shelter and the dog's like bouncing off the walls they might think okay then the dog needs more calm behavior training right and while that is true we also have to find ways to meet this dog's needs so that he's even capable of those calm behavior training. And that's where that arousal stuff comes in. He actually needs that stuff. Yes. And actually that is a really, really good point because if you don't, I'm sure you hear this all the time. I'm sure you say this all the time, but if you don't meet his needs, his his temperament needs, his breed needs, then he's not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to train the nice walk on leash if you don't allow that young husky some free time racing around being his husband self, or I'm just being stereotypical here, Uh, but you're not going to be able to teach the calm behavior. So you have to satisfy uh, the dogs, you have to satisfy what the dog brings to the table. And so this is going to be incredibly dog dependent for whatever puppy you have. And probably, especially if you have a mix, um, or even if you don't, probably harder to figure out what your actual puppy needs, which is why you're always going, okay, I'm going to plan this and my puppy shows me this. uh, So I need to work more on, you know, active behaviors tomorrow because my puppy showed me that he's got a lot or too much value for sit and stare at me versus being active. So yeah. Right. And the reason that you're, I think the reason that your puppy is showing you where you've put your reinforcement lately, like the reason that that's working for you, as far as a measure of understanding what's going on is that his high arousal needs are also met. Yes. Right. So if he's just deprived and he's just, he's not getting the active outside time and everything else, 
then he's not actually going to be able to do those calm behaviors. Right. And it's, so I think, you know, if somebody's not really sure what to do and they're looking at their puppy and they're like, well, I think the puppy needs more self-control. If you're thinking that, then you want to plan some ways to kind of meet their needs, their movement needs, their action needs, and then see if your training of the calm behaviors goes better for you. And that's kind of the, the, the information as far as yeah. whether giving them what they need. Right. That's actually such a good point. Like get them out, meet their action needs, and then your, um, you know, downstay training or go to bed training or relax when you're working or whatever will go so much easier, um, depending on the dog, of course. Yeah. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's to really tough. And you, you know, cause we had, we've talked a lot of, a lot about a lot of these different things. And one of the one thing that you mentioned is that your puppy, your dogs learn how to settle on a dog bed in the house and that your puppy can settle on a dog bed into a bone and not be tethered or behind a gate. Yes. And I'm just going to wager that that wouldn't be possible if he hadn't had this awesome stimulating day in which he got to use his brain and his body. Yes. And now he's able to be calm. Yeah. And I actually, um, I train it. I was thinking about it because um, I'm just, this is on my mind because of course I have the puppy, but you know, he comes out of the crate and he's bitey. So we do toy stuff. Then we do food stuff. Then we do kind of walk around the yard stuff where you sniff. And then we do the settling down and then we do the crating. So I find for this puppy, who knows for other ones, but for this puppy, that formula recipe or whatever is working very well because he's met his needs and then he can um, relax and choose something. He can't always relax and choose something, but um, the majority of time he can. Uh, and what he's also learning is how to be calm in the house without having to be um, be in the crate or whatever. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm just noticing that's kind of my formula with him. Uh, and wondering if that's part of my success of being able to train them to be calm and on their dog bed kind of thing. I mean, I think so. I think um, recognizing that when they first come out of, when they first come out of crates. So basically when I, when I talk about it, I talk about going from nothing to something. When they go from nothing to something, they're going to like that something being a more active something. Yeah. I don't ask for a settle down when they first come out. Of right. Like they go from nothing to something, <laughs> have it be an active fun something. And then you're literally tapering down. Like you go from yeah. active fun something to sniff around, to yeah. settle on a mat, to then relax in a crate. Yes. And, and so I'm kind of going from high arousal to low arousal mm-hmm. uh, and, and teaching the dog how to do that on, and also I. Uh, seeing whether they need more or not. One thing I do want to mention kind of off off topic, you know, we're talking about like calm behaviors and high arousal is that this puppy of mine is bringing up the fact that um, he is so like he came pre-installed with eye contact. Um, And I think herding dogs or working dogs oftentimes are, we have those bred into them that they want to work with us. And so foremost on my mind is actually independent stuff from him uh, because I would say he's almost too into me. And there's a lot of things that can develop if the dog is too into you that are less than 
than desirable. So I'm making sure that he gets a lot of needs met by my partner uh, so that I'm not the only person giving him reinforcement and resources. And then I'm also making sure that we're doing independent stuff that doesn't involve food from me. Uh, because I want some, I want him to be capable of doing stuff in front of me, I, I guess. And I've noticed that it's, it's not that he doesn't want to go on the surface. He's not scared of the surface. It's that he's kind of hanging back, looking at me because again, he's gotten tons of reinforcement for that. So, so I'm looking at opportunities to get independent action out of him. Uh, because again, that's a balance thing. And I've never had to worry about that before. <laughs> yeah, this is actually bringing up a lot for me. This is really interesting because it is true that, again, this is why there isn't a recipe because they're living, breathing creatures that bring their own genetic package to the table. And then you're bringing your entire training history to the table with this puppy as well. Right. And you're very good at training focus and eye contact and handler engagement. And so boom, he's like, he's like genetically set up to be good at that stuff. Yep. You're good at training that stuff. And now yep. here he is. And you're like, actually, I also need you to track without thinking about me. Exactly. <laughs> That's part of the game too. And also <laughs> have confidence on the decoy. Like mommy's not going to be right there. Right. You. Like, you know, things like that. And I'm thinking of a client puppy too right now who. You know, I talk a lot when I'm talking about puppy raising and when I'm talking about the concept of I'm putting this in quotation socialization, but basically exposure to the world and feeling confident in the world. I do a lot of letting the puppy process on its own, look at stuff, think about stuff. Like I'm not necessarily trying to change their opinion of things with food early on. Right. I do a lot of like, okay, you think the fire hydrant's scary today. Well, let's just look at it as long as you think you need to look at it. Yeah. And then, oh, you want to go sniff it now? Okay, let's go sniff it. So I coach a lot of that. But then I've got this client puppy right now who she's like, well, then I'll take care of everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And she's like, then I will uh, plow forward and bark at this and <laughs> I'll see you when I'm done. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, oh, we got to find that balance again. She needs some direction from you. Like, she needs to know that you know more about the world than she does, actually. Right. And so it is, it's this constant evaluate and adjust situation because right. Like with Ion, he is really ready for you to just lead the way. Yep. Totally. Like, no, I want you to have a little more, <laughs> a little more pushiness. So you're leaning right. on some pushiness and, and going that direction. So it's this constant evaluation. Yes. Constant going. Okay. Yeah, just making sure, again, that that's balanced, that the puppy has both and that you're putting, um, if they come, you know, I think it's really neat when my dog looks at me, he thinks it's really neat, but if I want a dog to do the sport that I really want to do, then I have to put some extra time into him becoming a little more independent of me. Plus, he's a German Shepherd, separation anxiety, that kind of thing. And yeah. <laughs> it's, he very has, real concern. Yeah. He has to be able to exist independent of me. Um, so again, I'm having, you know, I'm I'm teaching a couple seminars. So I'm actually having him boarded at a couple different places. So he can one learn to rely on other people and and have those experiences while he's young. And hopefully that'll be good and not bad for him. <laughs> Honestly, if especially if it's a place that you trust, it's yeah. actually yeah. such a good idea. And it would hurt me physically. And I just take my hat off to you. Because it's 
so hard to do. It is so hard. I'm already it's so important about it. So important. I, and and one of them I could take him. One I can. I'm fine. But one I could, and I'm just like, no, it's it's important because I'm seeing things out of this dog that could lead very easily to separation anxiety in other uh, other hands. And I just want to make sure that doesn't happen. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And oh my gosh, so there's so much to think about because we really do want our dogs, especially sport dogs, to want above all else to engage with us and do our stupid games. Like yeah. that's, but also, right. we can overdo it. We yeah. can put them in such a place that it's not healthy. And now they have to learn to go go walk in the woods and be a dog and don't walk backwards in front of me barking at me because you don't understand that they can, that you can go be a dog. Right. And also, yeah, you can go stay at my friend's house. You can go stay at a boarding kennel. Like you will be all right. Right. You're going to survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm gonna survive. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's hard. It's a little bit of loss of control. And, you know, I was actually thinking about it today and I was like, you know, trainer you can train anything if anything happens you know <laughs> so yeah. but yeah um another thing I want to mention is that we're all about uh food and toys but one other thing I've been thinking of with this particular puppy is how can I have some motivation out there that isn't food and toys and that kind of segues also into the fact that he's so dependent on me and food and toys is what I provide how can he get um, how can he look at other things as reinforcement, like more functional rewards, things like that. So I am thinking of that uh, in, in terms of how can I make sure his reinforcement is varied um, and not always food and toys, which we, as sport trainers, we tend to use a lot, you know, because it's easy. Uh, it's the easiest thing for us to use. So what, what other kinds of reinforcers are you kind of fostering in him? Well, I, I don't know if this is a reinforcer yet, but I was experimenting with him climbing on stuff. And mm -hmm. what is so cute and interesting is that he's the kind of puppy that he's like kind of nervous about it. So he'll climb on stuff, you know, the using the back feet sort of thing. And, and he'll do it and he'll get nervous and he'll jump off and then he'll be like, I did that. And he'll jump back on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. It's just like, and I don't know if that fits into a functional reward thing, but it's just like, there's no food involved. There's just the puppy going, oh, I can do this. It's you know? an experience. It's like, like a little kid playing on a jungle gym and like, they're not yeah. sure if they can climb to the top and then they do. And then they're like right. really proud of themselves. And yeah. then they do it again, you know? And so I have some firewood out and I remember doing this with ones and I'm doing it with this puppy. And it's just like, can you climb, get on a log? You know, can you turn around on a log? And I'm so tempted to use food for that, you know, really? but I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying not to. Trying to just let the experience be. Yeah. I do a lot of that too. Like I love watching them just figure out how to use their bodies in the woods. Like I yeah, think that's like so in cool the woods. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah. Walk on a log, jump over a log, like go crawl right. under things, like learn how to use your, your body. And I think that that is really important. And we tend to lean really hard on like, contrived body awareness training which yeah. isn't bad I also do that stuff yeah I tend to do that stuff when I see them using their body smarter and smarter on their own in uh -huh. the real world and so right again balance a dog that can you know navigate 
the hillside with like fallen trees and roots and I mean here in the northwest like <laughs> right the plant life here is not screwing around like it, it will grab you with its tendrils and take you to the underworld like it is serious and I, you know, like a dog that can run do a running dog walk and they're running these three skinny planks yes their entire everything they've got but they've never like run down a trail and jumped over logs and you know crawled under stuff and like I think that again coming back to that balanced place I saw a dog at a local trial recently she kind of slipped going on to the dog walk and the dog only had three feet on that piece of equipment the entire time she was on it she just found her balance enough mm-hmm. to stay on it with the other three feet until she was off yeah and I'm just going to argue that like, she probably has some other experiences under her belt <laughs> that right. she can use her body really intelligently like that. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm looking at things like that, again, fostering the independence and can you do it? And it's so hard for me because what I want to do is go wait for two feet up, mark and feed it, you know? Right. Yeah. That would be my tendency as a, as a trainer. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to use food for this. I'm going to, here's the other thing that I think people, when they bring the food in, like they're hearing you talk and they're saying, okay, but what if shade, what if the log slips and the puppy falls and the puppy gets scared and people believe that if they have food involved, that they're going to make that, that not be scary. And that's the, that's the falsehood is that that will still be scary. And also you could damage your food. Yes. You could poison your food. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, well, actually uh, my partner came out and surveyed the log pile and was very critical. <laughs> very good. Very good. Of the possible slippage. <laughs> so, very good. So I was like, okay, okay. I'm going to do this in a better way. So there always is that, but I also think I just, dogs have to be dogs. It's and, okay. Uh, actually, if they slip and yeah. they fall and they and go. I want them to slip at low height. Yeah. I actually want them to learn, uh, like this puppy being a little bit, you know, oh my gosh, I'm elevated. Uh, how do I navigate the turning around? I want him to figure that out on six inches up rather than five feet up, you know? So um, I want him to learn those balance skills and things like that. So I, that's my justification. <laughs> well, and also that I do think there's a lot of validity in what you were saying about him learning just how to handle himself and like that being a confidence building situation that if you used food, he wouldn't necessarily learn that is what I'm, is what I believe. And I think that we could, I could think that could be argued trying to say, if it's about independence from you and confidence away from you, that's where the food is probably wouldn't help you. Also, um, when we're training something like uh, specifically, you know, putting your paws on stuff and navigating surfaces, and we make it about marking and food, we're actually, I think, almost making it harder because then the puppy is trying totally. to concentrate on us at the same time and they turn their heads and they're watching us. And I think if they were concentrating solely on navigating the thing, that that actually would make it easier for them to figure out their bodies and navigate the thing without worrying about one. Uh, switching reinforcement between moving through space and food and two, then paying attention to us. So, so with this particular puppy, whenever 
I can look at those things. I'm trying to not have the food and have him discover for himself how good it feels to be able to conquer this or whatever. So, um, and we'll see. Uh, but again, just balance, you know, just figuring out how to. Right. If the next thing you know, he's climbing on the roof, you overdid it. You got to scale it. If he's climbing up the ladder, which I did work on this once my 10 year old was such a clumsy puppy. I, I have video of working on him, you know, climbing on some wood and it was so hard for him. And I just, and then I have video a couple months later of, I had a ladder leaned up against my my fence and he's no. climbed up the ladder and you I just you don't want to teach dogs to climb up ladders they have a really hard time getting down safely <laughs> yeah 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 and they don't they don't think about that they don't think no. through I'm not going to be able to get down they just yeah. climb up they climb up and then you're stuck and you're all the way across the yard because you didn't realize the dog was going to climb the ladder no so, why yeah. would why would you think that <laughs> yeah, so for sure keeping everything kind of in balance and looking yeah just looking on a daily basis or even a weekly basis of where are we what skills are really strong and what skills are weaker and how can I build those weaker skills and what we do instead as trainers is we just train the stuff that's fun for us right if we're not right. thinking like this we will create imbalance right because we do the stuff that's fun for us that the puppy navigates towards uh, and is easy and fun for them. And I think we need to put more time into the stuff that doesn't come easy for your particular temperament of your puppy or dog. So, and maybe isn't yeah. easy for you either, you know, like Probably might not be, yeah, might not be easy for you. Like I know that um, there's kind of a, there's a lot of people who are, who don't find toy skills easy to teach. Right. And so they lean really heavy on food and you can get a lot done with food and that's okay. But then if you show up and you go, but I want the toy skills, then it's not okay. Right. <laughs> like if you do want them, you got to kind of push yourself outside of that comfort zone. Right. And it goes, it goes the other way around too. A lot of people are really, really comfortable with toys. They have a good time training the dog with toys. It's fun for them. So they don't work on the food stuff. Right. Or what often happens, I'm sure you see this, is we have somebody who has struggled with toy skills with one dog. They get another dog. That dog does very well with the toy skills and they forget about the food. <laughs> yes, totally. Like we are so informed by the last dog that we trained so frequently <laughs> that we're like, no, this for sure is going to go well. And right. then we focus really hard on that. And then we're like, oh, wait, food. Right. Is a thing. Whoops, whoops, now you won't eat anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause everything's toy stuff for you. Totally. Which is kind of why I'm like, literally the last couple of days, I'm like, wow, toy skills came so easy with Talek. Uh, and they're not coming easy with this dog. So I have to change up what I'm doing and I have to change up, you know, and put a little more focus towards it. So, um, and you learn from every dog. That's what's so cool. The other thing too, is I don't know if this is like on our subject, but I was just thinking about the toy skills is like, because they're hard and because I teach toy class and have these formal rules, formal rules, um, I'm always pushing people towards that. Whereas it is really important to sometimes just play with your dog and yeah. just throw all the rules out and just, observe what your dog is bringing to the table. 
So well, that's, that's balance too. That's yeah. saying like balance between rules and skills within the toys versus yeah. is this actually fun? Right. Exactly. So, yeah. and kind of taking the time to observe that and see what your dog. So, so specifically for me, it's about how, how do you play with the other dogs with toys? Is that fun for you? Or <laughs> do I not want that relationship you have with the other dogs? <laughs> you know, right. Right. Is that not, <laughs> not actually what we want to do. <laughs> actually, you may like that, but I don't know that that's, that's good for us. Um, and then for me, kind of throwing all the rules out of the window and trying to figure out what the puppy actually likes. So yeah, that's, that's a lot. What I tell people to do as well with toys is to just, which is actually why I'm not great at coaching it. And I usually just send them over to your class, but basically (laughs) I want you to play and I want you to ask questions. And it's kind of, you know, if I play this way and then I let the toy go, do you leave or do you bring it back to me? Like, that's the biggest first question for me is like, how does this dog actually want to interact with the toy with you? Because if you actually let them tell you, turns out a lot of dogs don't like the way that we've been taught how to play tug with dogs for however long. And so it is, it's again, that kind of, it's that balanced thing of asking you the questions and seeing what you want to bring to the table versus this is how I need you to play with toys for them to be a usable reinforcer for me. Yeah. And again, it changes the maturity changes. It's moving goalpost. Um, so yes. And I would say that somebody would look at ion and say, Oh, he's got a wonderful grip. Oh, he tugs really hard. He's really good about it, but he's not bringing it back. So something is happening where Mm -hmm. I feel like his prey instinct is making him go for the thing and strike it, but he's not necessarily feeling powerful and confident enough to bring it back. So he's not necessarily having fun. His prey instinct is making him do it, or he's unable to not grab the thing flying past his face, but he's not necessarily feeling confident enough to then bring it back to me. So that's that's the question you gotta ask. You gotta go, okay, what do you like in the tugging game? Are you too little to be doing intense tug? You know, are you too young? You're three months old, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And that's what I was going to get your opinion on is a lot of the time, if I'm just not seeing it, I will just put it away. Yes. It's not always, you don't have this, so you need to work hard on this. It's not always that. Sometimes you need to let them mature and grow up a little bit and see what they bring to the table when they have, you know, more, more body, more brain that they can bring to this equation. Yes. And that's very, very true. And a lot of actually the larger dogs uh, don't enjoy playing with toys because they can't, their bodies are so they got new legs every day. So they mm-hmm. can't really, you know, they jump after the toy and they splat and it's not comfortable for them. They try to grab it and it's not comfortable to grab a toy because they're really clumsy about it. So there's a lot of dogs that you need to wait. Like, and with those dogs, I kind of recommend playing once a week, kind of like yeah. see, asking him the question, how does your body feel now? And, you know, can you like strike it or can I use a different toy that you can strike better or, you know, all those questions. So, yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah, and I, I get kind of in trouble for telling people to take a break on things like really frequently <laughs> but basically <laughs> if something is going really poorly just continuing to try to do it the same way you're doing it 
isn't going to make it go better. So well, it's you need a new plan. Help. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like you need a new plan or maybe the dog does need time. I think that they go through developmental phases yeah. where certain things are harder for them or not enjoyable for them. And you have to just let them grow out of that phase and then come back. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's really, again, with that moving goalpost, because it's always going to change depending on what the, mm-hmm. what you taught the dog and it's going to change maturity wise uh, and what the dog, what the puppy is giving to you. So, yeah. So the moral of this is think about everything. <laughs> so we have no real answers for anybody. It is always just a moving goalpost. Do your best. But I think it's just to kind of conclude, I think it know what you want, like know what the goals are. I think that that's really important. And then constantly evaluate that swinging pendulum between the things that you are teaching, whether it is action stuff and stillness or food and toys or you know all of the myriad things that we just talked about right independence versus dependence and also really understand that you can have it all you can have both like like you can have a dog that is an adrenaline junkie and loves the toys but still takes food yes and still does calm behaviors And you can have, even if it's relatives didn't, even if your sport tells you that it's not valuable or whatever, (laughs) you still can do that. And it has to do with, it has to do with a lot of things, but it it can be done. And just, and I think that's important too, because I think that there's a lot of mythology, at least in my sport, that it's more desirable for a dog to, uh, you know, refuse food and go for toys. Uh, and if a dog that really, really loves toys, then they, of course they won't take food or they won't be able to calm down in the house. And I think that actually you can have both and you can train both. And it, it, it does involve you working a little bit harder on the stuff that your dog doesn't bring naturally to the table, but it can be done. So. And I think that's kind of the key piece is that you can have this really fast, awesome, high octane sport dog that also settles in your home. Yes. But understand that training will be required. Don't expect that to just show up for you. And you might have to train more on the settling in the home than you train agility. Like the biggest thing that I see is that people just want to run agility. They don't want to do downstays. They don't want to do weight on a cot to get released. They don't want to do lay on the thing and chew a bone because it's not fun for them either. Right. Right. But if you want it, you have to put your energy towards those things. Right. And that's not even getting into perhaps mentally it's better for you to talk. <laughs> we'll just avoid <laughs> the mental part of it. But yeah, if you, want it, you actually have to put uh, more time into training to settle or, or if you've got a dog that naturally settles and is really good at that, then you may have to put more. Then you uh, might have to put your time into getting them to be that fast sporty dog that you wanted. Like it is, those traits don't come together. I think that's, what's important for me to talk about. Like, I don't like it when people say this dog is a natural off switch, but then meanwhile, the dog has its needs met all day long. And then yes, can lie down. But like, it was really hard for you to meet all those needs and a normal person probably couldn't like I don't want to hear about your natural off switch (laughs) in your dog that 
worked stock all day long on your farm. Right. <laughs> He's not a natural off switch. He's tired. He <laughs> ran miles and miles around your sheep. So it's, I want a really pushy, sporty, fast, high arousal dog. I also want the dog that's snoring on the dog bed right here next to me as I'm recording. I recognize one of those is probably going to require more training from me. Right. And I think that's, that's the part that everybody kind of just wants to buy a dog that can do both those things. I think if that breeder existed, they'd be very wealthy. And such a good point, because um, I do think that with people calling it a natural off switch or you're breeding dogs with an off switch, while there is some genetic tendency to be able to offer stillness versus not be able to offer Absolutely. stillness, there's yeah. a lot of training that goes into creating that off switch, needs met, training still behaviors, making making um, associations for your dogs. Like one thing that I really concentrate on my dog's understanding is that it's calm behaviors in the house and it's active behaviors outside. So mm-hmm that they understand, you know, and pass the puppy playing. I mean, honestly, I'm just happy that the puppy is, is doing anything that's not chewing stuff. At right. this point. So they're allowed to be very active in the house, but I, but what you're working towards um, is making good associations and clear associations for what behaviors are needed when. So, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's the balancing act. You're doing it all the time. <laughs> You're paying attention all the time and constantly kind of evaluating and adjusting. And it is possible to have all, all these things. It's very possible. And don't ignore it. <laughs> don't <laughs> ignore <laughs> things that you don't like or things that you do like. Don't ignore anything. <laughs> do something about all of it. <laughs> Easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, um, Shade, tell people a little bit about where they can find you and your upcoming Crucial Concepts course as well. Oh, yeah. You can find me on Fenzy. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram uh, as far as that goes. But mostly I teach my classes through Fenzy. And the next term, December 1st, I think registration is, oh, tomorrow is oh well it won't be tomorrow when you do this anyway november 22nd crucial concepts is just a good balanced um how to teach a puppy how to do all the things just a good foundation and i am entering ion uh because i entered talic when he was four year when four years ago when he was a baby puppy and i really like kind of the balance of a shape behavior alert behavior and I include sort of a go out and touch something else behavior. And I'm mentioning that because one of the mistakes or things that I am good at is creating good behaviors around my body. And I think it is necessary for dogs to learn to offer behaviors outside of our six foot influence. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's just good, again, good balance in that class of what behaviors we want. So I would highly recommend it. And if you do take it this term, you'll see Ion entered with all his little adorableness. Little baby Ion. Yes. So 
Um, I will link all of that. This this is actually going to air while registration is still open. So everybody will run right over and get signed up because yeah. it is, I recommend it all the time. It is a great foundation. And you bring this kind of idea of balancing all of those goals to the table whenever you're teaching, but definitely in crucial concepts as well. Yeah. And um, there's actually some pretty advanced stuff in the latter weeks of that class. So even if you think that, you know, you got a pretty good foundation, um, a lot of my teaching goes back to, hey, did you see this in week four and five of Crucial Concepts? Because I go mm -hmm. over offered behaviors and things like that, uh, which I think is, is important going forward to your dog's learning skills. Uh, so yeah, that's in there. For sure. But yeah. And we have an excellent TA this term too, uh, to help the bronzes. And I don't often have a TA for Crucial Concepts, but we do this time. Um, oh, that's that's a huge benefit. Yeah. So that yeah. for everybody, if you haven't taken a class at FDSA before, if you're at bronze or silver, you can participate in the associated kind of Facebook group. And sometimes there's a TA over there that's helping and having a TA for Crucial Concepts is, that's a big deal. That's great. And yeah, and she knows the material inside and out. Uh, and so, yeah, it'd be a good time to take it. So, All righty. Well, yeah. thanks so much for having this conversation with me, Shade. Yes, very important. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.